Uh, I saw a, a commercial this last week for Hulu, the streaming service Hulu, and um, and the commercial has uh, it's kind of kind of pretentious kind of feel to it, but there you've got two beautiful people, um, uh, so Sofia Vergara and uh, and Joe Manganiello, I believe is how you, how you pronounce his name, and you know these people are, are, are you know they're attractive and, and and they're sitting in this commercial, they're sitting in first class, and uh, and Joe says. Uh, never fly first class. It will ruin flying coach for you forever. And then she says, never date Joe. Uh, it will ruin men for you forever. Um, and, then, and then Joe says, that's the funny thing about better. Once you try it, you can't go back. Once you've had better, you don't want to go back to what you had before. And then the punchline of the, of the commercial is that Hulu will ruin TV for you forever. Once you have Hulu... You don't want to go back to a regular old TV. Once you've experienced Hulu, which is better, it's going to ruin TV for you forever. And so Sophia and, and, and Joe and, the, and Hulu and the authors of that commercial probably didn't realize this, but they're really echoing the main point of a sermon preached by a Scottish uh, uh, pastor and theologian in the 1800s. His name is Thomas Chalmers, and he preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. In the sermon, Chalmers argued that man and woman were constantly searching for what is best. We're constantly looking for something better. We're familiar with this phenomenon. We're constantly looking for what's best, for what's better. And, 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 uh, and the only thing that can unseat in our heart what we consider to be better is to find something that's even better than that. And once we find something that we believe is best, we orient our hearts around that thing. We orient our lives around that thing. So maybe you've experienced this with a romantic relationship. Maybe you you uh, you, you said, okay, this person is the best and my life is going to be oriented around this person. And I had to clarify with the uh, with the first service, like if that if your current spouse is the best, okay, we're not, you know, so we want to leave it there. But maybe you've had the experience if you were in a romantic relationship and, and it didn't work out, and somebody else later came along and and and, and, and it did work out, and 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 then you said, wow, this is better than what I had before. Maybe your sports team doesn't do well, and so you start following another sports team, and and that new sports team kind of replaces. Uh, uh, in your heart, what you consider best. Maybe, maybe a job. You said, man, this job is the greatest. And five years later, you're saying, man, I, can, I can't do this again uh, another day. And then you find something else to do. And, and so we're familiar with this thing about, about our hearts uh, kind of having, uh, always looking for something that's best. And then a rival comes along. And we, and we say, well, is this better or is this? And, and so we don't get transformed by having a low view of the world around us. We get transformed by having a high view of Jesus. That's really, really important. We don't get transformed by, by having a low view of the world around us. That's why so few people are getting transformed. Um, we get transformed by having a high view of Jesus. When Jesus is seated on the throne of your heart and you grasp that he is more beautiful, he is more good, he is more worthy, he's more powerful than anything else. And when, you, when we understand his beauty, his value, his perfection, his sacrifice, um, everything else gets ruined for us. Every rival gets ruined for us. And we begin to say with the Apostle Paul, nothing compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus. When Jesus is truly seated on the throne of our lives, and your life is revolving around him. There's going to be challengers. There's going to be rivals. 
But when you've seen him, when you've tasted and seen that he is good, nothing can replace him. Once you grasp that Jesus is better, all rivals are ruined for you forever. Just like Hulu ruins TV to, to a much greater degree. Jesus replaces any rival when you truly see him for who he is. And that's what conversion is. Um, a lot of us think we've been around Jesus or we've been around Jesus' talk or we've been around church. But conversion happens when we glimpse Jesus and grasp him for who he really is. Not just who everybody says he is, but for who he really is. And he takes residence on the throne of our heart. All right, so we're beginning the series, Jesus is Better. We believe that Jesus is better than any sin, any temptation, any alternative, any pretender in worship. Well, what happens in worship when we sing? By the way, wasn't it an awesome song, Jesus is Better, that we just sang? Man, we're going to sing that song so much over the next few weeks, you're going to be singing that song in your sleep, all right? Because those words are so true and so powerful and so good. In worship, our hearts are fixed on the supremacy of Jesus. And so, you know, when I came in last night and I smelled that wild, that men's wild game supper, all that food, uh, man, when I smelled that sand hill crane and when I smelled that uh, uh, rabbit and the squirrel, and most, mostly when I, when I smelled that elk steak, man, I wasn't hungry for a peanut butter sandwich. The smell of that elk steak just drove any desire for a peanut butter sandwich out of me. When we are fixed on Jesus, man, no rival stands up to him. That's the argument we read earlier in, in, in Hebrews 1. Jesus is better. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to compare Jesus to all these different Old Testament personalities that point forward to him. So often we read the Bible and we're looking for ourselves in it. And, and that's okay. We can find ourselves there for sure. Um, we identify with, uh, with Adam, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, Ruth, David, so on and so forth. But as Tim Keller says, the Bible really isn't about you. The Bible is about Jesus. And in all these characters, even through their flaws and their faithlessness, they point toward the faithfulness of Jesus. So I have vivid memories of riding the school bus when I was a kid. Anybody remember riding the school bus to school? My school bus was a prison with wheels on it. It was a terrible, terrible place. Um, where, where where dreams went to die, okay? And so, um, and so you know, you used to like uh, this little guy on the school bus with guys that were like shaving and, you know, probably like 30 years old. I don't know why they were on school buses, but, but um, it was really a rough school bus. And I was one of the first to get picked up um, every morning and, and one of the last to get dropped off every afternoon. And, uh, you know, we had some freedom on the bus. We kind of did some crazy things. I used school bus drivers in here, you know, our kids do crazy things on buses. And we did crazy stuff running around. I don't know how many times a bus driver would say, this is not a playground. This bus is not a playground. And we treated it like a playground. There was a certain amount of freedom within the bus, but we really couldn't control the destination. We couldn't control where this. There was very limited freedom, but we felt free. But I'll tell you what. Uh, when I was 15 and I bought my first truck, my 64 Ford pickup, baby blue, which I still have today. When I bought that, when the first time I drove up to the school at 15, driving that baby blue pickup, I said, this is better. This is better. There was, you know, now, I wasn't free to like shoot my slingshot out the window anymore while flying down the road. Not that that happened. I wasn't free <laughs> to run up and down the aisles. I lost freedom in a sense. But man, the freedom I gained was incredible. And there wasn't one time that I said, you know what, I really wish I was riding that yellow dog right now. Man, I wish I was on a school bus right now because my truck was better. 
And what we want to see as we fix our eyes on Jesus, our goal in this, in this series is to set our affections on Jesus as the very best. To orient our lives around him and to stop looking back at the yellow school bus of sin and death. And get out on the highway and cruising freedom that only grace can provide. Better is an adjective. And it means of a more excellent or effective type or quality. When we say that Jesus is better, we're saying that he is more excellent. He is more effective than anybody in anything. So we're beginning our comparisons with Adam. So we're beginning at the beginning. Remember Genesis 1, God creates everything. He creates uh, male and female in his image. In Genesis 2, we find Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, are in this perfect environment. Um, and, 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 and there's this relational harmony that characterizes Adam and Eve's relationship to each other, to themselves, to the created order, and most importantly, there's relational harmony with God. Um, you know, Adam and Eve are innocent. They're, they're unmarred by sin. Um, but the tempter slithers, slithers in and, and tempts Adam and Eve, and they choose to honor self. We remember the story, right? They choose to honor self rather than honoring God. Even in the most perfect setting, our first parents gave in to temptation. They gave in to the temptation to do things their way. And that's our fundamental temptation that we struggle with today, is we want life on our terms. We want to do things my way. That's me, that's you, that's every person in here. We are tempted to do things our way. We're tempted to, 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 to live life on our, our terms, to rule ourselves, to worship even ourselves. And the consequences of Adam and Eve's rebellion was exile from the Garden of Eden. Confusion, shame, death, separation from God. Sally Lloyd-Jones in her great uh, story about what's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't care how old you are. If you're a kid, 8 or 80, the Jesus Storybook Bible is for you. I love it. And in, in, in her telling of Genesis 3, she said, in any other story, this would have been the end. But not our story. See, in this story, God comes looking for Adam and Eve. He pursues them. He pursues restoration with them. He pursues reconciliation with them. And God has been pursuing you. Since before you were a gleam in anybody's eye. How about that? God has been pursuing you. Restoration will be reconciling, pursuing you today. Once we grasp that Jesus is better, all rivals are ruined for you forever. So 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians 15 begins, and in, in verse 3, well, the, the letter to the Corinthians begins, I'll start there. At the beginning, Paul says that I came to know nothing among you but Jesus and Him crucified. And then he ends the letter talking about the resurrection of Jesus, spending more ink than anywhere else in the New Testament, just unpacking the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. Um, and, and so there's some in, in Corinth, apparently, that didn't believe that we would rise again. Uh, they, maybe they just said that when we die, we're dead, and that's it. And Paul makes this argument throughout the chapter um, that says that because Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus rose like the first fruits. He's like the little bit of wheat that, that, that's poking through the ground is the guarantee that there's more to come. He's the first fruits because he rose again. All those who know him will rise again and experience resurrection, uh, bodily resurrection um, in the future. And so he unpacks this all the way through, uh, all, all the, way through the chapter. 
And in, in verse 20, Paul writes, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, he's the, he's the down payment. He's the one that's gone ahead of us. Verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So by one man came death. By another man came the resurrection of the dead. Now Paul is already comparing. He's already contrasting. He's contrasting Adam, who brings us death, with Jesus, who brings us life. So right there we can tell that Jesus is superior. I mean, the one who brings us life is greater than the one that brings us death. He goes on to say in verse 22, For as in Adam, pay attention to that, in Adam all die, in Christ, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. Now that phrase, in Adam, and that phrase, in Christ, those phrases are very, very important if we're going to understand a lot of the New Testament. Every human being is born in Adam. In the sense of we have a unique connection to Adam. We have a unique relationship with Adam. We're mysteriously connected to him because he's the first man. We bear his image. And, and, and that's an image that's beautiful, but also broken, uh, flawed by sin. So like Adam, our forefather, we are prone to wonder. We're prone to self-rule. We're prone to want our own way. We're prone to, to put something other than Christ on the throne of our lives. We're prone to look for something better than Him. Leon Morris says, just as Adam was the head of a race of sinners, so Christ is the head of a new race, the redeemed people of God. Adam is the head of a race of sinners. Jesus is the head of a race of the redeemed people of God. So whether we're from North America, South America, Asia, Africa, Antarctica, it doesn't matter where we're from, whether we're male, female, rich, poor, you are born in this earth in Adam, mysteriously connected to him, joined to him, joined to his destiny. Now, my, my, how can that be? Well, um, you know, my daughter, Ava, my oldest daughter, Ava, I don't know how she Serving somewhere? I don't know. I don't see her. So I can talk about her. So Ava um, is about to be 13. And, and my grandmother, uh, uh, this particular grandmother, uh, uh, passed away years before Ava. And but, but that grandmother, we called her grandma, and she had some kind of aggravating tendencies, you know, and and, uh, and she would uh, and she would just kind of pester people and picket people, and, and she had these things. She'd walk, she kind of come around like she kind of go around piddling with things, and she kind of whistle, but not really whistling. She just kind of go. And, and and so years after she she died, Ava's born, and Ava turns about three, and Ava starts doing things that were like grandma things. She's never laid eyes on grandma. And she's like walking around and, 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 and pestering. And I'm thinking, man, this is like looking at my grandmother when she was a little girl. How could that be? Well, she created it. She bears her image. In a similar way, we bear Adam's image. We, we bear these tendencies of our forefather and our foremother that, that, that we don't even, uh, in ways that we don't even comprehend. Bearing his image, replicating his legacy, Bound to his destiny. That's what it means to be an Adam. We replicate his legacy and we're bound to his destiny. But the New Testament gives us this incredible hope that we can be born again. When you place your trust in Jesus, you go from being in the realm of being mysteriously connected to Adam and united to his destiny. And you move to being connected by faith to Jesus and united to his destiny. That's an amazing exchange. 
So one time, Sean and I flew to, Sean and I, uh, my wife flew to uh, Wisconsin for a conference, and we were flying from Birmingham, Alabama to Appleton, Wisconsin, okay? And we're, we're, we're boarding the plane, and, you know, I feel for people to have to deal with, uh, with people uh, on a regular basis. Um, I really do. Um, can't imagine why I could have empathy for that, but I do. But, uh, but particularly flight attendants, uh, stewardesses, man, stewards and stewardesses, these guys have a tough job, right? To be like on a tube flying through the air with a bunch of uh, entitled people, that's tough work, right? But this particular stewardess was really not cut out for the job, okay? Or, or maybe she was having the worst day ever. Um, but, but we're boarding this flight to Appleton, and there's like 100 people ahead of us, but we can hear her voice barreling down the tunnel all the way to us. And she's like, with a very hostile voice, everybody that gets on the plane, she's saying, Are you going to Appleton? Yes, yes, I am. Are you going to Appleton? Yes. Are you going to Appleton? Hey, get your bag out of the aisle. Hey, stop doing this, stop doing that. I think, man, this lady is really having a hard day. And so like, I hear her. Now, and to be fair, I guess somebody could get on the wrong airplane. But we had just like scanned our tickets, our boarding passes. Like It would be pretty tough to do, really, in today's world, to get on the wrong airplane. Now, you, probably somebody has done it, but that's not really easy to do. But she's grilling everything. Oh, are you going to Apple? Are you going to Apple? Yes, yes. So like, I hear this like a hundred times. And I think, man, I'm going to win friends and influence people. I bet a little humor will win this lady over. And so I get to her and I say, this, this flight's going to Appleton? That's not where I'm going. And she just glared at me and did not find it humorous at all. She just pointed to my seat over there. And, and so once I took my seat on that plane, my destiny was joined to the pilot's destiny. His destination was my destination. The only way I could change my destination would be to get off of that plane, board another plane, and place my trust in a different pilot. And Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us in Romans 5, that in Adam, and this is hard news for an entitled world to hear, but in Adam, our destination is sin, hell, condemnation. That is where the Adam plane is going. That's where it's going. Now, we can sit up front in first class on the Adam plane with Sophia and Joe, and we can have all the best snacks, but we cannot change the destination of that plane. The only way is to step out of the Adam plane, place our trust in the superior, better pilot, place our trust in Jesus, and board his plane. Conversion happens when we trust that better pilot, when we trust Jesus, when we board a better plane. In Christ, your destiny is tied to Christ's destiny. You're going where he's going. If I'm in Adam, what's true of Adam is true of me. If I'm in Christ, what is true of Christ becomes true of me. What an incredible thing. So Paul asks, by a man came death, by a man comes resurrection. Adam's rebellion, Adam's self-worship, Adam's placing self on the throne of his life brought death to us. That's where the Adam plane is going. Jesus brings resurrection. He reverses the curse for those that are joining about faith. Resurrection to a new kind of life now and bodily resurrection later forever. So Jesus is better than Adam. N.T. Wright 
uh, tells a story of a, of, a, of a local seaport hero who rescued uh, a boat, uh, a load of uh, passengers out in, out in the bay, and in banks, this town commissioned a, a sculptor to put up a statue of this man. So the statue was there for years, and then later, as, as kids sometimes do, teenagers came along, and they vandalized the statue, and they broke it. Well, rather than just making the statue just like it was, the sculptor... Um, the sculptor made it out of better materials, and he made it better than it even was before. When Paul talks in Romans 5, about, and he talks about here about Jesus, Adam brings death, but Jesus brings life. He's not saying that Jesus comes along and just duct tapes Humpty Dumpty back together again. He's saying that he does a work of restoration in your life and my life, and puts us together in a way that's even greater than Adam was. It's even more beautiful than we were before. Through Jesus, God isn't just putting humanity back the way before. He's doing something radically new. So as we prepare to close, just a few, a few ways that Adam is better. Sorry, Jesus is better. <laughs> Making sure you're listening. Jesus is better than Adam. Adam was tempted again under the best possible circumstances. Man, he's in a, a perfect environment. He's in a garden. Everything's going his way. And he's a king. And he's married to a queen. And they're naked. And there's no shame. I mean, this is a great situation. <laughs> Adam fails. Jesus is tested under the, and tempted under the worst possible scenario. Under the boot heel of Roman Empire. In the desert, in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 days. The enemy throwing everything hell has at him. And Jesus is faithful in the wilderness. Adam focused on what the tempter was saying. Jesus focuses on what God's word says and he overcame. He has a better faithfulness. Jesus is better in faithfulness. Jesus offers a better freedom. You know, Adam was, again, king of his created order. But he wanted the one thing he couldn't have. He wanted to be free and do his own thing. Um... Jesus comes to us, came to us as a poor baby in a backwater part of the Roman Empire. And he's faithful all the way to the cross. Adam found soft freedom in saying, let my will be done. I'm going to do it my way. Jesus found freedom in praying in the garden to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus found freedom in bowing his knee to his father. That's where Jesus found freedom. And that's the only place you're going to find freedom. Otherwise, we're just like a bunch of kids on the yellow school bus thinking we're free because we can run around, but we have no control over the destination. We're like people on the Adam plane up in first class partying it up, but we have no control over the destination. Better freedom. Jesus offers a better strength. You know, when I, whenever I read that story in, Adam, in, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, if, you know, when I read about the fall in Genesis 3... You know, it says that Eve eats of the fruit and she gives some to her husband that was with her. And it just always stuns me that Adam's been standing there with Eve this, this whole time. Passive, powerless, quiet, allowing the tempter to tempt his wife. And he doesn't raise a finger, he doesn't raise a fist, he doesn't raise up his foot and stomp that serpent's head, he just lets it happen. You know, Jesus doesn't stand by idly while his bride, the church, is tempted. Romans 8 says that he is interceding for you and me right now. We're told that God has given us everything we need for life 
And God, as Jesus has bared his holy arm, he has crushed the serpent's head. When he allowed evil to do its worst to him on the cross, and when he overcame the cross with the resurrection, Jesus is characterized by a better, a better strength, a better love. You know, if Adam would have comprehended God's love for him, how could the story have been different? Now, how would my story be different if earlier on in my life I could have comprehended how much God loves me? How much different would your story be if you could just comprehend then, or maybe if you could comprehend now, how deep the Father's love for you is? But when we're in Adam, listen, when we're in Adam, we look God's love in the face and we see a threat. We see a threat to our kingdom. We see a threat to our domain. We see a threat to our way of doing things. Adam loved so little that he took the ate. We're told in John 3 that God loved so much that he gave. There's a huge difference between those two. You receive a better inheritance. You ever feel like you received the worst from your parents? Like, of all the qualities of your parents, you ever feel like you got, like, the worst of it? Like, I mean, if you took the worst thing about my mom and dad and put it together, that's me. You ever feel like that? No? Okay, that's cool. Um, me um, I don't know anybody that feels that way. But here's why we need to be, you know, uh, Adam left us this inheritance. He left us this corruption and this bent towards self-worship, which leads to death. But Jesus gave us a better inheritance. He gives meaning, he gives purpose, he gives a better kingdom, he gives forgiveness in life, and mission. Better worship, finally. Adam worshiped himself. That's what it came down to. Here's why we need to be clear about why Jesus is better than Adam. I doubt anybody this morning, or really any time in your life, woke up and thought, you know what? I think Adam's better than Jesus. We know Jesus is better than Adam. We're not tempted to worship Adam, but we are all tempted to worship like Adam. We're tempted to worship like Adam. Jesus honors his Father to the very end, no matter what and beyond. And because he's faithful, your life can be rescued. So now what? I just want you to ask a question. What plane are you on? Are you on the Adam plane? Are you still in Adam? I mean, we can dress it up all we want. But that doesn't change the destination of where that plane's going. Or are you in Christ? Have you trusted a better pilot? Stepped on board a better plane? By faith. Maybe you know Jesus. And maybe you feel like, yeah, I nailed that down years ago. Cool. But where is your heart? Um... Does your heart, I'm not talking about 30 years ago at camp, or even last year at camp, or, not, or 10 years ago at the walk to Emmaus. I'm talking about now. Does your heart acknowledge the beauty, the supreme power, the goodness of Jesus? What are you struggling with right now? What is there a rival to your heart's affection? Maybe it's a bad thing, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know, but is there a rival? This week, as you're struggling with that, will you pray? And maybe just as we stand up in just a moment, the band's coming up, as we stand in a moment to, to, to have some time of response. We just pray, Jesus, thank you that you are better than whatever the struggle is. Thank you that you're better than this, this grief. Even though this grief is real, thank you just that you're better than it. Thank you that you're better than 
uh, this marital conflict. Thank you, Jesus, that you're better than this addiction. Thank you that you're better than whatever that struggle is. Jesus is better. So once we grasp that Jesus is better, all rivals are ruined for us forever. Um,